And if you've got your Bibles handy, if you'd like to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 9 to the end of the, uh, of the letter. 2 Timothy 4, chapter, uh, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you. And so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Well, before um, Nathan comes up and opens that to us, let's um, come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light that you've chosen us as your people, that you've called us to belong to your family of believers, that with Christians around the world we share the same Heavenly Father, the same Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we share the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within each one of us. We thank you that we are your special possession, and we thank you for the mercy that we have received. Father, we thank you for the great encouragement it was this week to meet with other leaders from churches up and down the country at FIC conference, to come together and be united around the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the different types of church represented there, the long-established churches as well as the new church plants, churches that are thriving and those that are struggling. Churches in materially wealthy areas and churches in socially deprived areas. But we thank you that you are present with each one of them. You are at work in each one of them. And we praise you for the 1,000 or so people who have been baptized this year and pray for many more baptisms over the next year. We pray for more churches to be planted, more people to be trained for ministry. Father, we thank you for other Christians around the world with whom we are partnered. Thank you for the chance to hear about Bethel and Tenebu's work yesterday. For Tom's initiative in using that gift of music that you have given him to raise money for that work 
in memory of Josiah. We pray for the building of the new clinic, that it would proceed smoothly, that many more patients would receive treatment as a result, and that people would experience the love of Christ through the care that they receive. As we look at Paul's final words this evening, Lord, in his letter to Timothy, and just how dependent he was on the support and encouragement of his fellow believers, we pray that we would not neglect those in need, those who feel isolated and alone, those who may be struggling quietly. We lift up to you now in the quiet, those who are on our hearts, and ask for your blessing on them. And finally, Lord, we thank you for the great promise that Paul was able to rely on and that we can rely on, that you will rescue us from every evil attack. You will bring us safely to your heavenly kingdom. We thank you for that great reassurance. And we pray that we would not just know it in our heads, but experience it fully in our lives. We pray for your blessing on Nathan now as he comes to preach. We thank you for how we've already been blessed through his preaching in this short series and for the way in which you are continuing to equip him and Lisa for the ministry to which you are calling them in the future, whatever that may be. We pray that through your word this evening, you would encourage us and you would thoroughly equip us as your servants for every good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Well, good evening. Um, I wonder if anyone out there has, uh, in their work context, kind of corporate emails, emails that go out to everyone every week all the time, uh, maybe in a school setting or in a college setting, university or in a work context. Uh, where I work at an organization called Christians in Sport, we have one such email. Every week it lands in our inbox. It's called Internal Weekly. Now, rather than having meetings every day, a lot of information is stored up and save for the internal weekly email, all that you need to know from the week just gone and the week to come. So as the email lands in your, in your inbox, the first kind of section of internal weekly is very important. Need to know information, information of tasks that you need to do um, in, the, the, in the near future in order to get your work done. But as you progress through the email, uh, it kind of gets less and less important. You begin to kind of skim read through it, flick through it, just kind of presume what's there, internal weekly. Now, last Christmas, the people from Christians of Sport that produced internal weekly um, wanted to test whether people actually read through the whole of the email. And so at the bottom of the email, uh, hopefully you can read this, right at the very, the last point on the email, they put this message. Christmas present. Just to see you actually read to the end of these emails, if you fancy a small Christmas present from the internal weekly elves, then just reply back with a festive joke. Now, not many people got a present from the Christmas elves at Christians of Sport because, again, as I say, a lot of the staff at Christians of Sport just kind of read the important bits at the top, but then by the time we got to the end of the email, it was just kind of glance through, flick through, it doesn't really matter. Now, as we come to our final um, time together in 2 Timothy, it might be quite tempting to approach the verses 9 to 22 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, just like I treated um, the internal weekly email last Christmas. We've had the important bits, right? 
uh, chapters 1 through 4, um, or the first half of chapter 4. But now, uh, this, as you had read to us by Neil, it seems a bit random, doesn't it? Just a list of names, uh, just a list of kind of final greetings, something about bringing his coat and scrolls. Like, what's this about? Surely this is something just to kind of look over, to skim read, to flick through. Why didn't Paul finish last week? Right with those triumphant words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Shut the Bible. Off we go. Right? Surely that was the way Paul should have ended his letter to Timothy. But no. He continues, he adds these seemingly mundane, irrelevant details. But we're in danger if we ignore them. Right? We're in real danger if we simply skim read and flick through the final few verses of 2 Timothy without giving them due diligence. Well, we know from 2 Timothy already that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting Training in righteousness. So these verses are no different. We should approach them in the very same manner as we've approached any part of 2 Timothy thus far. Because you see, these verses don't just leave us with a theory of what uh, Paul explains to us, what it looks like to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Not just the theory, But Paul leaves us with the reality from his personal experience, his final days, his final hours. These closing words are a mixture, a combination of sadness and beauty, of brokenness and hope. And it's a real insight into Paul's life that we're not going to overlook this evening. We're going to have a real look to see what they have to say to us. And we're going to look at them in three points. The first of which is this, a helpful insight from Paul's personal experience as he ends his journey of the Christian faith. Point one, friends are helpful. Because you'll notice how Paul begins, if you look down in verse nine, he's talking to Timothy, remember, that's who he's writing the letter to. And here are his first words. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly. Here's Paul as he sits in his prison cell and he longs to see his dear friend Timothy, his fellow partner in the gospel. He longs to see him. He began his letter earlier on in chapter 1 with a similar kind of notion. If you flick back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4, you'll see this. Recalling your tears, Paul talking to Timothy, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So here's Paul. In his prison cell. And he wants Timothy to come to him. He longs to see him. So that he may be filled with joy. Some of the language he uses. Do your best Timothy. Make every effort to come and see me. Quickly. Is some of the language he used. Be hurry. Be fast. Get here. There's a sense of urgency isn't there? Time is of the essence. I guess for two reasons. Firstly. Paul's about to die. We looked at that last week. He's at the end of his life. A court hearing is just around the corner that may well sentence him to death. And so if Timothy doesn't come now, well then Paul might not see Timothy this side of heaven ever again. 
But also, Timothy doesn't have much time. You'll notice, if you flip right down to the end, he mentions a a very similar phrase in verse 21. Again, talking to Timothy, do your best, get here before winter. Again, repeating that kind of phrase of do your best, get here, come. Because you see, when winter comes, well, again, that's going to prevent Timothy from getting to Paul. So there's an urgency in Paul's words. Timothy, come. I long to see you, my dear friend. But it's not just Timothy that Paul wants to see. There's other friends. There's there's other fellow workers in the gospel mentioned in the passage. You'll notice in verse 11, Luke is mentioned. And Luke is, we're told, is with Paul. Paul here in Rome and Luke is with him. Luke has been with Paul for a long time. He's been with him ever since his second missionary journey began. He's been his friend. He's been his physician. He's been his biographer as he's written through um, uh, the, the book of Acts. And here he is, a close friend with Paul in Rome. So we have Timothy. We have Luke. Who else do we have? Well, Mark is mentioned. You'll notice that in verse 11. Get Mark, says Paul, and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul asked Timothy to bring Mark along with him. So who's, who's this guy, Mark? Well, we learn a little bit about Mark in the book of Acts. In previous ministry journeys that Paul has had, he's had exposure to this guy. Mark had abandoned Paul and Timothy in one of their previous journeys. And Paul refused because of this abandonment to take him on a later journey. But now, at the end of his life, there seems to be a restoration in that relationship. Paul says, Timothy, bring Mark with you. He's helpful for me. He's useful for me. He's a friend that I need for help and support. And finally, some of the people he mentions, both in Ephesus, where Timothy is, you'll notice in verse 19, Greek Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. And also in Rome, where Paul is, you'll notice in verse 21, Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Friends. Friends in the gospel is on Paul's heart as he pens these words. And that's what Paul wants to get us our attention on. This is what's on Paul's heart as he writes his last letter, as he writes this last chapter, as he writes this last paragraph. What's on his mind? What's on his heart? People. People are on Paul's heart. Friends. Friends in the gospel. Friends who he has lived his life with. Friends who he has ministered with. Friends who have been helpful to him. So as we come to this point, friends are helpful. I guess the point Paul's trying to make to us is this. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. Jesus didn't die to create isolated individuals. He died to create a unified body, a church, a people together of God to love and support and encourage and equip and enable one another for gospel work. We're not meant to be islands. That's kind of Paul's message to us here this evening. And Paul cherished these friendships. 
He understood how important it is to work alongside people and to work with people for the sake of the gospel. He understood that friends and friendship is an amazing gift from God to be treasured and valued. He understood that he personally in the situation that he is in here in prison at the end of his life, and as we'll find out later in a pretty lonely and vulnerable, vulnerable position, that he needs people around him, friends, to help and support him. I mentioned before that I was at the FIEC conference with some of the other leaders from the church. And I guess we saw this kind of attitude in action while we were there. This togetherness, this gospel unity. As pastors from churches from all around the UK and from all around the world, as people from the States came across as well, came together to help support each other, to come together, to learn from each other, to pastor each other. To share experiences, to share stories, to share mistakes, to share joys. This is Paul's message and his heart as he pens this final paragraph. What's on his mind, what's on his heart is people. Gospel friendships. And I guess we can say from one side that's a a spiritual friendship. Luke Timothy, Mark, some of the others he's mentioned have come and supported and helped Paul in a spiritual sense. They've built him up. They've pointed him towards the cross, to the gospel that he knows and loves and trusts in. They've reminded him to keep going. They've been of support in his ministry. So in a spiritual sense, yes, he's been supported and helped. But also, you'll notice in verse 13, it's a practical help as well. Not just spiritual, but practical. He talks in verse 18, When you come, Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and my scrolls, especially the parchment. So again, not just a spiritual help, but a really practical help is on Paul's mind as he writes these words. So as we begin to apply this first point of friends are helpful, an insight from Paul's life, I want to ask you two questions. Who are your Timothys? Who are your Timothys? Who are the friends that God has put in your life to help and support you live for Jesus? Who are the friends that God has put in your life to help you live for Jesus? Both spiritually and practically. Are you thankful to God for them? And I guess secondly, who are your Pauls? Who are the people in your life that God has put there so that you can help and support them as they work and live for Jesus? Who are your Timothys? Who are your Pauls? See both sides. Who are the people that you can help and support? Who are the people that can help and support you as you seek to live for Jesus? If you have a, I know we did a bit of this last week. If you've got a pen, get out. If you've got a piece of paper, get out. If you've got a phone, get out. If you've got something to write down, get out. If not, don't worry. You can make a mental note of these things. Just to practically apply these things. Physically, if you can, write down a name. Maybe one person in your life this week. Maybe someone in your home group. Maybe someone in the church at large. Maybe someone in your street. Who are the people in your life that are your Timothys? 
the people that God has put in your life to support you. Write down a name. And my challenge to you this week is to thank God for them, but also to thank them. Maybe send them a text. Maybe give them a phone call. Maybe write them a letter. Maybe just have a conversation. Thanking them for the support they are in your life to help you live for Jesus. Because there's so many, isn't there? God has blessed us with friends to help and support us live for Jesus. So make a note of a name. Who are your Timothys? Make a note of another name. Who are your Pauls? Who has God put in your life this week that you can get alongside? That you can be a spiritual blessing to? That you can be a really practical blessing to? Who are your Pauls? What can you do this week to encourage them, to challenge them, to build them up, to help them when they're in need? Again, take them out for coffee. Put an arm around the shoulder. Cry with them. Laugh with them. Have a minute. Write down your names and write down what can you do this week to your Timothys, to your Pauls, or reflect on it in your own mind. And what a joy it would be if at the end of our time together, that's the conversation starter before you leave and rush off this evening to ask each other, who are your Pauls? Who are your Timothys? What are you going to do this week to be a blessing and to bless others around you? And to catch up next week, how did it go? how did it go was it hard how was it challenging was it a blessing were you blessed so there we have our first point friends are helpful and we see that and we know that in our lives who are your Pauls who are your Timothy secondly desertion is painful desertion is painful and remember in the context of the passage that we're looking at this topic of desertion this topic of of pain is specifically talking to the context of paul and timothy minister type pastor type people church leaders but it's also definitely meant for all of us because in many ways we are ministers to each other we are pastors to each other both to christians and non-christians in the world we live in And so I guess the point that Paul makes here so clearly throughout the passage is that Christian ministry, living for Jesus in the world, is hard and painful. And Paul gives loads of different examples throughout the passage. Lots and lots of different examples. But we're going to focus in on two particularly that mention this specific point of desertion. You'll notice the first one in verse 10. We're introduced to a character called Demas. Let me read it for us in verse 10. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, Demas was once was a faithful partner in the gospel with Paul. He's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 verse 13. And this is how it refers to Demas. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings in Colossians chapter 4. So once upon a time, Demas was a faithful friend, a faithful friend in the gospel to Paul. 
shoulder to shoulder, living for Jesus together. But now he's deserted Paul. And this word deserted is strong language that Paul uses. It can be translated almost into a bit of a slang of the kind of phrase of he's left me in the lurch. You know, that kind of phraseology. He's left me hanging in a dire situation at the most inappropriate time. Demas is gone, leaving Paul stranded. And I guess Paul then gives the reason why Demas leaves. You'll notice that because he loved this world. He goes to Thessalonica. And I guess one wonders what was in Thessalonica that made him leave. Was it love? Was it business opportunity? Was it family? I guess we don't know. But the thing we do know is that Demas didn't leave to follow Jesus. He left Jesus to embrace the pleasures of the world. Something about this world Demas loved more than being and supporting with Paul in his trouble. And as far as we know, he never came back. And it's tragic, isn't it? That a fellow worker in the gospel, someone who'd soldiered alongside Paul for years, now at the end, is gone. And I guess as I reflect on my life, I know when I was 19, I did a a gap year program. And I, for six months, lived and worked alongside 16 other young men and women from all around the UK. We worked alongside each other. We got Bible teaching together. We went on mission for Jesus together. And at the time, our real hunger for the gospel, you'd look around the room and you'd say, oh, we'll be here right to the end, right? But now, 10 years later, some are still going strong. But there's some that are nowhere spiritually. And I guess you could reflect in your lives as well, couldn't you? People that you have known. People that you've been brought up with, grown up with. People who have been in your churches. That tragically were once seemingly living for Jesus, but are now spiritually nowhere. And it's painful. That's the heart of Paul's message. It's painful. Desertion. Desertion by fellow gospel workers is painful. It's tragic. And we should feel that pain. But I guess the second example of desertion is slightly different. It's not necessarily just desertion from fellow gospel workers. But you'll notice in verse 16, and I guess it's probably the saddest verse of the whole section. At my first defense, no one came to my support But everyone deserted me. In his greatest time of need, Paul is deserted. He's let down by those he thought were friends. And I guess the context of this desertion, um, Paul would have come to Rome as a prisoner and he would have taken part in in a hearing. And I guess the initial hearing of Paul would have to interrogate, to investigate the charges that would be being held against him. A kind of preliminary hearing. And it's this hearing that Paul is talking about. It's this hearing that no one came to his support. And that kind of word literally means no one um, to be beside me. 
That's the kind of language that Paul is using here. No one supported me. No one stood beside me. It's the image of a witness or an advocate speaking on behalf of someone else. And so Paul is saying, at my first hearing, no one came to support me. No one came to be a witness and advocate for me. No one came to speak on my behalf. In the moment of his greatest need, facing life and death, quite literally, no one comes and stands beside Paul. But I guess we might ask, okay, great, that's Paul deserted twice. We feel the pain. But what's that got to do with me? That was 2,000 years ago. I'm not facing a life and death situation. Why is Paul saying this to me? Why is he saying this to us here this evening? Well, I guess he mentions this point of desertion being faithful because he wants Timothy to know first and foremost, but also us here this evening, just how hard... And painful living for Jesus can be. At the end of his life, people have put Paul in a situation that have left him lonely, isolated and vulnerable. And he says to us here this evening, this is the deal. This is gospel work. If you want to live for Jesus in this world, expect pain. Expect people to let you down. Expect people to desert you and desert the gospel. Expect this situation. The way I have suffered, the way I am feeling pain, expect this to be your situation too. This is normal if we live for Jesus in the world, to expect pain and suffering. People will turn away from the gospel. People will let you down. There's a form of what you might call Christianity that says if you live for Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then your life will be fine, will be perfect. Nothing will go wrong. You'll have comfort, you'll have riches. That's not Paul's gospel. Paul says no to a comfort prosperity gospel. He shows us the reality from his own life that at times... Living for a Christian, living as a Christian will be painful and will be hard. And we need to be aware of this. And we need to be prepared for this. But thankfully, thankfully, we have our final and third point. Because if we were to be reliant on people to get through the Christian faith, we'd be in a whole heap of trouble. Thankfully, we're not reliant on people. People will let us down. We have to expect that. But thankfully, that is not whom we are dependent on. Our third and final point is God is faithful. God is faithful. And it's a massive contrast, isn't it? People have deserted and failed Paul, but God is faithful. And I guess it's summed up in this section from 17 through to 18. Let me read it for us again. But, again, the contrast, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
There's some amazing assurances that Paul has in these verses. Some things that no man or woman can achieve for you or take from you. Because these are dependent on God and God alone. Notice the first one. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And this word strength is a kind of infusing of power. It's a brilliant imagery, isn't it? Infused with God's power is Paul. And for what reason? For what reason does the Lord stand by and empower Paul? Well, you notice it there. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Imagine and remember the context I've already laid out. Here's Paul. He's, he's at his hearing. No one's stood up for him. No one's turned up. He's been deserted and alone, but he's here. He's in front of the Roman judge. He's surrounded by people, onlookers, spectators, witnesses, Gentiles all around him. No one seems to be with him. But the fact is, someone is with him. Someone stands by him. Someone empowers and strengthens him. The Lord. And for what reason? That he might proclaim the gospel. What a powerful thing that is in his hearing to consider whether he's going to be life and death. He's not preoccupied with his own situation. His concern is to proclaim the full gospel. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his reign and rule, his coming again, the full gospel. That's what God's spirit empowers Paul's to do. God is faithful to stand by and strengthen Paul. But not only that assurance, we also see further down, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely home. You see, Paul is assured of the Lord's strength and empowerment, but he's also assured of God's rescue and the ability for the Lord to bring him home. Paul is talking about his ultimate salvation here, his ultimate rescue. He's speaking of departing and going to be with Jesus for eternity. In spite of the loneliness, in spite of the vulnerability, in spite of the desertion, in spite of the pain, Paul has confidence that the Lord will take him home. And in light of these two amazing assurances that God will be with him and strengthen him, that God will rescue him and take him home, what's Paul's response? Well, we see it at the end there. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He just can't contain himself. He's so caught up with the assurance of God to do these things for him that he praises God. He outbursts in songs of praise. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's doing. God's rescue, God's strengthening, God's empowerment. Not people, not Paul, God. God alone is faithful. To him be the glory, says Paul. And Paul isn't just, thankfully, describing these assurances just for him. He's not just like, I'm an apostle, I've got it sorted, it's not for all you, all the best. Because if it was, that would be a really sad thing. The truths that Paul has assurances for himself here, we can have full assurance for ourselves. The promises that God makes to Paul 
are the promises that God makes to us. And how can we be sure? How can we have the assurance that Paul has here? Well, it's because of the work of the cross. It's because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Because he stood in my place, I can be assured that he will stand by my side. He'll stand by my side when I'm deserted by people. He'll stand by my side when I'm let down by people. He'll stand by my side when I'm left feeling lonely and vulnerable. He'll stand by my side when I'm the only Christian in my context. My work, my sport, my family. Jesus will stand by my side. When I have an opportunity to speak something of the full gospel and don't know what to say, he'll be by my side. When I suffer for the gospel, for standing up for the truth, when I'm different to the world around me and it's hard, he'll be by my side. In every decision I make, he's with me. In every mistake I make, he's with me. In every success I make, he's with me. In all my questions and doubts, when it feels too hard and not worth it, he's with me. When I feel tired, I want to give up. He's with me. In illness and suffering, he's with me. Right until the day of my final day, he's with me. He's by my side. Empowering me, strengthening me, rescuing me, and he will bring me home. I don't know if you're familiar with the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Have we got any fans of The Chronicles of Narnia in the room? Yes, good. I wonder what your favorite book is. They made a film adaptation a few years ago. Have we seen any of those? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Prince Caspian. Right, that's the one I'm going to focus on. Prince Caspian, he made it into a film. And there's a scene in the film Prince Caspian towards the end where we have the children. Um, they've been fighting against the bad army, King Miraz. He's the baddies. And the, the children and the, the goodies have been fighting against the bad enemy, the, the bad guys. And they've been defeated. And so they have to fall back. They have to retreat away from the enemy. And they fall back and fall back and fall back. And they reach a bridge. And as they fall back to the bridge, they're kind of isolated, the court between two stones, the army's coming this way, and the court between the bridge and the river. And the scene kind of zooms in on one of the four children, Lucy. She's the smallest, she's the youngest. And Lucy is kind of standing on the bridge by herself alone. And the enemy army is coming towards her. She, they reach the bridge and they're almost looking at her in disdain. And I'm watching the film and I'm like, oh, Lucy, what are you doing? What are you? I'm getting nervous. I'm like hiding behind the sofa here. But Lucy's standing as the enemy army approaches her all alone by herself. And King Miraz kind of points and looks and laughs and kind of gets the charge to attack Lucy all by herself, isolated, alone, vulnerable. But as the charge goes forward, all of a sudden, 
the great lion appears. Aslan. By Lucy's side. He roars. And the enemy army is swept away. That's it. Battle done. Finished. And Lucy simply embraces him. Gives him a massive hug. And that's how the film ends. But I guess the point of the illustration is this. We can often feel like Lucy in the Christian life. Paul certainly felt like Lucy. Deserted, alone, isolated, vulnerable. Against the attack of the world around him. Living for Jesus. But the truth is, you've got a lion by your side. King Jesus stands by you, walks with you, empowers you, equips you, and one day he will bring you home to his kingdom. And I guess what's the response? Well, it's that of embrace. It's that of praise. It's that of thanks. As we are thankful for who God is, his faithfulness to us. So there we have it. The end of our series in 2 Timothy. And what a journey it's been. We had a little interruption for the Reformation, a good interruption, I'm sure. But we've finished our journey in 2 Timothy. Paul passing on the gas, the gospel baton to his young apprentice, Timothy. Showing him what it looks like to continue to live for Jesus in a world that doesn't know him. And I guess in many respects, the baton has been handed on to each and every one of us this evening to go, to put into practice what we've learned. And by God's help and with his presence with us, the lion by our side, to go and live for Jesus in our context. Will we rejoice with friends who are helpful? Will we be prepared for desertions that are painful? And will we cling to God alone who is faithful? Amen.